Hello everyone and welcome back to the 16mm Film Crew Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Dale. You can watch us on YouTube, you can like and comment on our YouTube videos, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can support us on Anchor, you can follow us on Letterboxd at 16mm Crew Podcast, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify at 16mm Film Crew Podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Crew Podcast, and on Instagram at 16mm Crew. So this week we are talking about Flea. This film follows Amin Nawabi, who, on the verge of marrying his husband, shares his story for the first time about his hidden past, fleeing his home country of Afghanistan to Denmark as a refugee. This is directed by Jonas Poehler Rasmussen, and it's executive produced by Riz Ahmed and Nikolai Koster-Waldo. So, Dale saw this at Sundance last year. Dale, tell us what your feelings were about this film. Um, it's it's one of those things where you, when you see a movie the first time and you kind of decide to, you know, like you haven't seen it in a while, but then when you rewatch it, you all those feelings of enjoyment and stuff, like they reappear once again. Um, and that's the case what I had with this movie. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I started noticing other things in the movie that I hadn't noticed previously before, which really are helpful in re like reigniting that passion for a film that you watched so yeah um okay yeah so for me this film was very heavy very emotional like i knew the general premise of it but i actually wasn't sure what it would be and how deep it would be and how personal um i mean story was going to be and so yeah it really hit me pretty hard because I think um, when the stories of um, refugees were kind of coming into the news cycle, like 2015-2016, I was really concerned about it, but after a while those news stories stopped coming up, so I didn't really think about that much. And I feel like um, Jonas kind of highlighting his friend's story really brought that back into my consciousness, but I'm sure a lot of people's consciousness as well. And it's a very personal story so it just shows you how a lot of these kind of governing fractions how those um actions have effects on real people's real families like entire communities and i think that that's what kind of hit me hard because it's like yeah this man went through so much like the worst possible thing that you can go through and he was suffering with all of that trauma which made it hard for him to trust anyone and made it hard for him to feel safe ever so that was really hard but I think seeing how the movie ends and seeing that he does finally find peace he's finally settled with his husband and he's living a good life and he was able to open up about his story I think that is hopeful not only for the people who are watching but also for other people who might have experienced the same thing as he did to finally I don't know find some like (laughs) peace and like joy in life because that was really intense yeah, I, I like it. It's funny that, you know, even though this movie premiered, like, at Sundance, like, last year, this movie and Encanto kind of deal with kind of the same theme a bit, whereas, like, those issues, those traumas you face, like, as a child or younger during a, a really stressful time can really affect you as an adult, because, like, we see with Abuela in, in, in Encanto, where she's basically a refugee leaving her home, and that 
and that, that experience kind of negatively affects her interactions and relationship with her family into adulthood. And with Flea, we kind of, we get the more, the nuanced reasons why all that trauma, people just assume refugee, like you're leaving your home, that's it. There's so much more internal turmoil that's going on, like he leaves his, his like this is like, this is set like before, like in, this starts like Cold War US in Russia, in Afghanistan. So you have the whole destabilization of your home, and then your father being taken from you, and then progressing like he's trying to figure out his sexuality, and that whole confusion then, you're ripped from your home, you're in Russia, a foreign country where they, even though you've been accepted because of your visa, they still disrespect you, you know, treat you fairly, and then, you know, you try to escape, and then you get sent back, your sisters leave, they get human trafficked and trapped, and traumatized and that whole process like like you said before he's reckoning with all that until his adulthood where this his kind of documentary process becomes like a therapy session where he's able to emote those things that he had built up for so long yeah exactly and i think the hardest part for me was watching was when he was talking about how there wasn't a word for homosexuality in um Dari, which is the language that Afghan people speak. And that really hurt my feelings because I was like, how do you not even have the word for it? Like, I mean, that's the thing about language is like, if you don't know, if you can't put a word to how you're feeling or what you're going through, how do you accept it about yourself? How do you process any of it? Like, it's all, it's just a lot. And it that really took me out for a second. And just... I don't know, his whole journey of like trying to escape Russia to go to a different country and then not even having, and then not being able to do that and being turned away and having to go back to Russia and then having to be smuggled out of the country just to have some type of freedom was just, I mean, you really don't know how like deeply wounding being a displaced person is like I I never would have thought about that I think the things that we take for granted like having home um having family around us like having the means to to move around if we need to like I definitely feel felt like I took a lot of that for granted when I was watching this movie I was just like yeah I don't think that you can put a price on the fact that of having a place that is yours and having your family together um, and what that could do to a young person just trying to figure it out it was just very like again very heavy yeah it's it's I don't know like it's it's a lot in the process like this movie is really like them making a decision to make it animated is mm-hmm. is really like cause you it, it opens I, I don't think I want to say opens it up it makes it um kind of difficult to sell because it's really it's really heavy subject matter and people have the idea of thinking animated movies no matter the t- subject matter are for children so them going this route with the hard hitting subject matter and it's not even just that it's also the fact that um they would intersperse like real life like footage of these this these news of the news into it which really makes it 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 it, like it being it being animated takes you out of it Uh, but then oh here's a cnn shot of oh this some this is something that really happened it's not fictitious it kind of does an ebb and flow of taking you out of it and actually watching this person's experience and then 
bring you back in and realizing this is a real life thing because like to be honest like what his story kind of like what his supposed to be 30 36 at the end of this mm-hmm. i'm i'm what like 32 so he's only a couple years younger than me. so every time every single news footage i was like i could say oh yes right we were in this situation then that's i learned history so you, you can kind of it kind of brings you back and i think it's a good a good tactic especially with subject matter in this movie which is as serious as it is like you said before like he had no like in the midst of all this like this turmoil of you know being a refugee and trying to find home which he says in the beginning like home is someplace permanent which he's been trying to figure out like how you said there is no word for homosexuality in the afghan language and so trying to identify yourself find that identity and you can't you don't have a word to describe who you are that's really it's like you, you can't say that's me like you're trying to figure out is something wrong i mean he even even says like he wants medicine to make himself straight like like there's no word to identify yourself and amidst of all that i couldn't imagine not being able to like point to something or look at something and say okay that's me i understand i can relate to it like that's really especially at a young age that he was doing all this it's like it's really heavy subject matter yeah it was really tough and i i i think what you were saying about the animation it definitely puts you into kind of his story so you're feeling everything that he's feeling because um you're not seeing his face so you're not like being maybe distracted or anything about like his facial expressions or how he says a word but you're like living that experience as the animation kind of brings you through that. And I think that kind of helped tell his story in a better way. I think this was like the best way to go about doing a story like this because maybe people might have not even paid that much attention if it was just a sit down interview. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they had kind of like story plots and you can you were able to see the progression of events and how disturbing a lot of that stuff was, like I thought that was really affecting. Hmm. it's it's yeah this movie is is really really powerful because and 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 i hope it does well because like i think it's up for like three different things on the shortlist for the oscars um animated feature uh documentary and also international best film so i think this is one of those movies that really draws attention and it's it's still living living with stuff like people are still kind of in cages not to the not to to the degree well even worse degree than they were um in the movie because they had scenes of them being in the estonia in estonia being in a building and mm-hmm. it's, it's real life because we don't even know what these he actually looks like in real life or his family so in the midst of them showing those pictures you don't know if that what you could that was him as a kid for real in those scenes or not you don't you don't know and that really makes you your, it makes your heart go out to the people who suffer like this like for most people the immigrant like you, these people are working hard trying to reach and like the immigrants come here working hard trying to reach an american dream like the dream of america and stuff like that is weird like a lot of people don't have that experience like some people are able to just get their green card and come here and be fine but not everybody has that upper opportunity in a way um um but yeah so yeah yeah and I think that I love the way that this story is told by his best friend. So um, he was able to kind of get into places where maybe a regular journalist or interviewer might probably would never have. And they did these interviews over a span of four years. So he was able to take his time in like a safe space with someone he trusted 
um, to tell his story. And I thought that was really beautiful. Um, he did make a comment when you were talking about that Estonia um, scene when they were in that kind of immigration concentration camp prison place where like a lot of those images were his family members and the fact that he said that you know the journalists and stuff they would come in and take all these videos and stuff and then just leave and nothing would happen really broke my heart because that happens all the time like people will just walk into like and it's not I don't know if it's intentionally trying to be exploitative but it is in the sense of like these people aren't getting helped you're just getting your footage and leaving so that was hard to hear but anyways i do think that the fact that his family were supportive of him being a gay man he was able to have his life now and he was able to take tell his story and start some healing was the most impactful part for me i thought that was really awesome and it's already winning a lot of awards in these like smaller festivals so that's really exciting and i hope that everyone goes to see this movie yeah um I'm excited. Like, this movie is so much more nuanced than a typical animated movie it is. Like, in the middle of the documentary, like, he's talking to his friend, and his friend is shocked to find out his parent family's alive. Like, and mm. that's supposed to be a friend you've known for more than half your life, and your friend, you don't even tell your friend that your family's alive. Like, and that goes on to the trauma he experienced, because he even mentioned this before, he had a boyfriend who he tried being open and honest about everything, and every time him and his boyfriend got into an argument, his boyfriend would just kind of throw it back in his face like well your family is here illegally you guys lied i'm uh, like and it's really hard to try and open up and you guys like that's somebody you love throwing it back in your face to you so it's kind of understandable why he became so closed off and so and hard like they were talking about shooting this like it was over like four four years i think four months four years mm-hmm. and how he had trouble expressing how he felt like this movie makes it seem like it was just one week of just recording and talking but for somebody mm-hmm. dealing with that kind of trauma and not really going to therapy like they should or something like that it's going to be hard to express i want also to congratulate the friend who made the documentary for having the patience mm-hmm. and the forethought to like all right we're gonna you're gonna work your way through this and i'll work work your work my way work my way with you so it's, mm-hmm. and you see all that come to a head where like i said before the movie's about him asking about home and is it permanent and him dealing with all that issues of not being home Russia back and forth not being with his family like him trying to find a home as in the gay club at the end and him saying he didn't go, he he's alone in the gay club for the first time in his life he didn't go home he found a home socially but then you also have the, the home within his his relationships with his with his husband where the whole time his husband's like oh I want to buy a house in the countryside and he doesn't recognize why he's restless and doesn't want to stay in one place until the end where he's coming back from New York after post-grad. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of traveling back and forth. I don't want this anymore. And then you kind of see that epiphany of all my stuff I've dealt with in a child that I'm explaining now is probably the reason why I feel this way. So, yeah. Yeah. So, excellent movie. Dale, what are you rating this? Uh, 10 out of 10. Um... I recommend anybody like the whole like if you don't understand the whole immigrant experience like you have no connection to it and you're trying to understand that side of why people say still believe to a degree why with amidst all the bad things where America is like land free like this whole story documents about the immigrant experience leading to get to the country or refugee experience I think this movie really would open your eyes and become sympathetic to the experiences these people have trying to find 
comfort that they don't have where they're from. So. Yeah, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 as well. Very affecting, very deep, um, beautifully animated, and just a really impactful. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, moving on to the box office news. Um, Spider-Man, you know, took a little dip the last couple weeks, but now it's um, um, pushing to about $1 billion overseas. Um, in total, domestically, it's now made $735 um, million, which is kind of fourth place in all-time domestic gross, putting a third behind um, Avatar, Avengers Endgame, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, I think, is number one with um, $937 million. So, it was, it, and people have to recognize cinema has changed to a degree. It's going to be a lot harder for movies to hit those kind of numbers if Avatar, Endgame, and Star Wars. Because it's, it's people are still trying to function if it being post-pandemic or pre-pandemic Hollywood doesn't work the same. Like, you have Brad Pitt and George Clooney talking about they they want they'll take a pay cut for the movie they're working on currently to be in theaters, not only streaming. And, and that's a thing the industry has to wrestle with, like... Movie watching is the same. Like James, I think James Gunn said it best at one point when he was talking about one of his a movie he enjoyed as a kid. Like a lot of the movies, fans and directors and actors all enjoy, didn't reach their status because people saw it one time in theater. They had repeated viewings and enjoyment watching at home. It's kind of like I just talk about with with Flea. Like I saw it one time Sundance, mm-hmm. but in the midst of watching it again, all those feelings. And enjoyment watching it, and I was able to delve deeper into themes and things I noticed, like the music and stuff. Like watching movies at home helps bring a better connection to those movies, and ha- brings you more long-term fulfillment and enjoyment. So, yeah. Um, beyond that, the box office numbers for the week. Um, of course, with the top ten from last week. Uh. Uh, let's see, it would be at number t- 9, well, down from 9 to 10 is Licorice Pizza. Number 9 is a debut movie called The King's Daughter. It's about Louis VIII, if my Roman numbers are correct, and he's trying to extend his life by kidnapping a mermaid, and his daughter finds it. It's really weird. At 8 is West Side Story. American Underdog is at 7. The 355 is at 6. Kingsman. Ozone at 5, a debut movie, uh, Redeeming Story stays at 4. That's a movie about a woman who was sold into prostitution at a young age. Um, Sing is at number 3. Scream drops down from 1 to 2. And of course, as mentioned before, the numbers, Spider-Man No Way Home is back at number 1 domestically. Internationally now, the only markets kind of reporting over the weekend are Brazil, Brazil and Taiwan. Uh, Sing 2 is the number 1 movie, India. At Scream, Licorice Pizza is number one in Argentina, Austria, and Switzerland. And in Greece, it is Belfast. Okay. So for our top story today, we are talking about the Spotify Joe Rogan situation. Basically, Joe Rogan has been spreading a lot of misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines and Artists like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young have removed their catalogs from Spotify. I know that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle has also come out against Spotify saying like, you need to step up and take some responsibility for this. And so Joe Rogan said that he doesn't always get it right on his podcast and he promised to do better going forward. Um, 
and I think Spotify is now putting out some disclaimers like an addition of content warnings in response to Joe Rogan's criticisms and misinformation. Um, apparently Joe Rogan's getting paid a hundred million dollars or something like that. Or the, yeah, I think Spotify paid him that much so they can have his podcast on their platform. And so for, but still these artists are really major artists with huge catalogs. So like if they take it away, Spotify is losing money. And so they're trying to scramble and get this thing together, but I honestly just feel like just do better. Like we gotta, we have to get it together at some point. Like this is ridiculous. It's it's, it's funny. People are kind of like assuming that because Neil um, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell aren't culturally relevant anymore. You have to understand these are people who like were living with like polio at the time and so that like they want to be like as children and so that they want to be alive if it wasn't for those vaccines so they're coming from a place of experience it's like that adage of people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it like that's kind of thing going on you have all these older people like look the vaccines work i would kind of be in an iron lung if you know mm -hmm. it wasn't for a vaccine and like joe rogan is like the perfect example of failing upward he wasn't that good mm -hmm. a comedian he got fear factor and now he's doing mma stuff and like he said in his interviews, like, oh, when he's interviewing somebody, he's just talking, you know, he's just, they have a conversation, like, it's, are you that poor at being a human being where in the middle of a conversation, you can't, you know, listen to them and then think and come up with a response at the same time, where you're like, wait, what he's saying doesn't make any sense, and you come up with a counter, or like, you know, you're probably wrong, or but like, it's a natural thing, like, that's the first thing you do in school when you're having debates or conversation, like, we... So what we do right now when we're recording the podcast, like you, you saying something and I can think, okay, that I can see where you're going with that and I can come up with something that adds on to it or formulate my own opinion on it. It's not hard and it, yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, like, and it's weird because Spotify, like we have a podcast on there, but you know, our podcast on Spotify, but Spotify isn't really the place for podcasts. So I don't know why they're trying so hard with this Joe Rogan thing. So I've, I've never yeah. heard of somebody who's like, yeah, listen to this nice news podcast on Spotify, you know. I don't know. It's... Yeah. It's Apple Music. That's the superior platform. That's just the, the end of the story. Like, <laughs> um, on other news, um, Evangeline Lilly um, comes out against her, her distrust or dislike for, you know, vaccine mandates. Um, where she was to, uh, I guess, a rally in Washington in support of bodily sovereignty. Um, she's like, this is not the way, it's not safe, it's not healthy, it's not love, I understand the world's a fear, but I don't believe in answering that fear with a force will fix our problems. I'm pro-choice before COVID, I'm still pro-choice today. And it seems like she's convoluting two topics, in a way, by aligning mm -hmm. COVID and pro-choice. Like, pro-choice is usually involved pro-choice, pro-life, women's reproductive system, which is still kind of a thing, whereas COVID is kind of a, a global pandemic where people are dying. Like, like it's not like a yes or no. It's like you get COVID, you will die. It's not like you might die kind of thing. And it's really weird. It's coming to a head, whereas you've had Letitia Wright of Black Panther come out with her anti-COVID views, and they stopped production like three or two times for her, which... You know, and they kind of like if it mm -hmm. like here's the thing. Evangeline Lee is not really culturally relevant as an actress. Where say, 
you don't get to see her at the top of the byline on a poster saying Star Gavagery Lily, and you go, oh, I gotta watch that. Like, we're not watching Lost anymore. So she's not that big an actress, you know. So she's easily kind of recastable. Letitia isn't because she's a new place of the Black Panther franchise. And it's more so eye-opening because uh, Simu Liu of uh, Shang-Chi spoke out against her comment saying uh, he's lost people to COVID. And he got COVID, but if he wasn't vaccinated a couple weeks ago, he would have probably died. Because he said when he got the f- he got COVID, it felt like a basic flu, and he was fine after a couple of days. So, I uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like uh, what I realize a lot of these actors who speak out against COVID or vaccines in some way are the ones who are no longer culturally relevant, get grasping onto fame for some reason. Do you do you mm-hmm. do you see the or is it just me? Yeah, I get that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Evangeline Lilly is just... I don't know. For me, it's always like, do what you want in your private life. Don't put that stuff on social media. Like, yeah. stop telling people how you feel. When you have a large amount of people who are watching you, who follow you, like, you have to be more responsible than that. Because it, it, it's different if it was just you and your little group of girls and your family, but... Mm-hmm. You're telling people who are still, like, there are people who are who actually are believing a lot of conspiracy theories and not sure, like, if the vaccine is safe or not still to this day. Mm-hmm. So you adding your two cents in that doesn't help the cause of, like, getting rid of this stupid COVID. Like, hello, can we just, can we look at the bigger picture here and not your personal freedoms, even though nothing, like, you're not losing a single thing by getting the vaccine. I don't know. I just can't take it and I'm done with these people talking about it. Like, just... Just shut up at this point. <laughs> Just <laughs> shut up. All right. Anyways, moving on. Um, so Peter Dinklage, he had a lot of criticisms about um, about Snow White, the new live action Snow White, and Disney responded to his criticisms. First of all, he basically was just saying like how it's the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is a backward story and. Disney thinking that they're progressive of telling the story with a Latina actress like Rachel Ziegler um, doesn't erase the fact that the dwarfism situation just not is not it just does not play out right in this story at all and he was really upset about that and he voiced that he's not involved in the project at all but he's still a very prominent man in this community who is an actor so it's like so Disney said that to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we are taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community. Yeah, that's their response. <laughs> All right. so I, I, better. I love how when people get in trouble, they say we've spoken to members of the community, like four or five people, you know, representative views of a a million plus people you know it's really it's mm. really lazy and especially considering you're making a movie about dwarves probably the most prominent you mm-hmm. know you know pe- person with dwarfism as an actor right now is probably peter dinklage and he wasn't involved in that process considering if you're doing a snowmite movie and you would he'd be one of those people you cast as like like doc i guess is one of the main dwarves and snow white like he's like not one of the person you'd contact about you know how he finesse and work out this way like um i don't know it like disney has a heart and needs to figure out what you're going to do because they no longer they don't want to do their, their classic animated things and let's be honest their 
their live-action remakes don't really hit the same as their animated classics did. And what they have mm-hmm. to figure out also is a lot of things in those animated classics were really culturally wrong. Like you have, you have mm-hmm. the dwarves in this one. You have, I guess, all the hyenas in the original animated Lion King are all voiced by black people. You know, mm. so I think they need to actually sit down instead of just green lighting. Oh, yeah, we're going to do Snow White. Sit down and say, all right, let's take a step back. We're going to we're going to probably plan this, but we need to figure out how to a rework the movie, a, a, avoiding all the negative stereotypes that we once had in in the movie before. So, yeah, and I, and I think it's also laziness on Disney part to a degree they're trying to like I wouldn't say laziness but it's a money grab like honestly I think they make more money by reintroducing all these old movies into like theaters and a a limited run or DVD but I also think they want those awards so they're gonna say hey guess what Mm -hmm. live action remake of this movie you know we won awards for CG and acting just like you know the anime movie won these awards for being best animated picture for this year you know so I don't know I think Disney is kind of being really lazy with it, you know. So, um, moving on from, you know, the Disney stuff, um, our condolences go out to Charlie Crist's family. Um, she was a Miss USA winner and an extra correspondent. Um, she died this past uh, weekend at the age of 30 um, in, um, in this issue of suicide. Like, my heart my heart kind of goes out to her family because you always feel these moments, what could you have done, could you have done more? Are there signs you could have noticed? And it's, and it's really hard. It's kind of one of those things where you only notice in the moment. Um, I know for me personally, it was, it was like that, like you don't really, like if my, my family not been aware how I was at that moment, things could have went differently. So um, I really hope they don't like spend time in anguish, you know, wondering about what they could have done, because it's, it's really hard, and when people are dealing with these issues, in their mind, the only way they could think of that release is to, sadly, you know, take their own lives, which, you know, it's it's hard for people who've never experienced, like, depression, like, that bad, but that honestly is the thought process and to how it goes, so, yeah. Yeah, um, sending a lot of prayers and love to her Chelsea's family and her loved ones. Okay, so, um, Dale, what did you watch this week? Um, I watched uh, a little movie called The Post by directed and produced by Steven Spielberg. Bit of a, a hint. Um, but it's kind of about the um, the New York Post attempting to print uh, Pentagon Papers, which kind of details like the twenty years or so that um. The U.S. was not just in the Vietnam War, but um, the French-Indochina conflict from the 1940s. Um, it also talks about how the New York Times like reported the initial thing, and then how the Washington Post got a hold of the other documents and continued reporting. And the 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 um their battle at the time at the Post for like journalistic integrity because I think at the time um the publisher she didn't really have a journalism background and you know and also not just that but she's also was friends with Robert McNamara at the time so she the post and her have to do this conflict of keeping her friendships and understanding the importance of reporting the news that people need to know um which is kind of something you don't see in news reporting these days because I think they try to play both sides too much either both sides or they don't want to offend 
one side or the other too much, which is something that's really missing from journalism. I don't, I don't think that's accurate journalism. By playing favorites, you're not actually getting to the core of the story, which is, is good to see in a movie like this where hopefully that kind of journalism reporting makes a comeback. And it's it's a wonderful movie. Star Study, you got Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks. Uh, you've got Sarah Paulson, Pop Odenkirk, uh, Bradley Whitford, Bruce Green, Matthew Reese, uh, Allison Brie, Jesse Plemons. Like, it's really top to bottom, like, stacked, stacked, wonderfully, wonderfully put together, you know, acting, the, the look, like, of course, it's Spielberg, you know, it's going to look good no matter what. So, yeah, if you're, if you're free and you want to watch something that's a, a good, like, kind of mystery thriller kind of you know biographical in a way movie i would recommend watching the post yeah. uh yeah so last week i watched two docuseries the first one i watched um on hulu which is called dark side of the 90s which just chronicles like all of the 90s uh big moments in pop culture um one of them that really stood out to me was like the the actor scene and in, in the 90s back in LA with like Leo and Johnny Depp and all of them it chronicled the Viper Room and the people who were like involved in that scene um where tragically River Phoenix died who was Joaquin Phoenix's older brother so like the what was shocking about that was the fact that that 911 call was the first time anyone actually knew about Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I guess he wasn't acting that much yet or something. So like that was his introduction into the world and that is crazy. So it was very interesting because I know that I'm a baby of the 90s, but I'm not a child of the 90s. So I had a lot of nostalgia around that time period. And it was, it was very messy. Like there was just a lot going on back then. So it was very interesting and eye-opening to hear all of those stories from people who aren't, who don't have the, you know, rose-colored glasses that I might, or a lot of other people might have from that decade. Um, I also watched the Janet Jackson docuseries where she really just opens up about everything that happened in her life main takeaways janet jackson is an icon and we do not appreciate her the way that we should because she really set the bar and opened a lot of doors for a lot of other pop artists um she was incredibly successful independent from michael jackson and the jackson family and the second tech takeaway i had was that because joe jackson was like the orchestrator of all of these people all of his family's careers they have, they look at him as a person who like did bad things in service of them having success. And because of that, they don't see that what he was doing was abusive. And I don't love that for Janet because I'm just like, every single time she was talking about him, she was like, yeah, I wouldn't have any of this without my dad. And I understand it now, I get it now. And it was never done out of love. Like it was, it was never not done out of love. and. You know, my brothers would tease me and cause me, call me like a cow and a pig, but it was never done maliciously. And I'm like, baby, no, <laughs> like that's not it, honey. Um, and I just, yeah, I want, I think she's okay now, but I don't love the fact that she is associating love with um, disrespect and thinking that it's somehow okay because this is your family. Like family can hurt you. Yeah, I know you guys are related, but that, that that doesn't mean anything like you're still a person you serve 
still deserve to be respected and to actually be loved and love is respect so I don't know I didn't love that for her but um it was very interesting seeing her career because again I wasn't that aware of her until like the early 2000s and by then she had already been a wildly successful artist for a couple of decades so main takeaway Janet is that girl and that's it yeah, I find it refreshing that nowadays, like a lot of um, older actors or talents, like like you said before, Janice, the icon. Like, if you look at like all uh, all those, like like you mentioned before, like the, the like River Phoenix, Walking Bridges, the like those '90s stars growing up. Like mm-hmm. honestly, like Janet, like especially when it comes to pop music and all that stuff, and the Jacksons as well as a, as a group, they kind of laid the. All those boy bands, Janet, like, leave the blueprint for, like, you know, Britney, Christina, and, um, was it, um, uh, she acts now. Oh my gosh, on This Is Us. With Mandy Moore, like, she laid the blueprint for all those people, like, without her success, you wouldn't have those success. And I also find it refreshing that a lot of these older Hollywood icons have now, are more aware of their impact on a younger generation, um, as well because you've I've had the same thing Halle Berry kind of saying the same thing now like she's because she had to fight for her position as like the like the lead black actress in Hollywood for so long um you see her saying hopefully her fought her fight helped the Zendayas Kiki Palmer uh, Palmer's Tessa Thompson's like all that and same thing I said like last week of Ben Affleck I think as a lot of these icons have gotten older they become aware of their impact on a younger generation of entertainers and talent as well that's our show everyone we hope that you are doing well you're taking care of yourselves um please make sure to check out all of our social media um support us if you can and we will see you guys in the next episode goodbye au revoir